Welcome everyone to another episode of Kiwi Talks. I have in the building with me, Gemma Major, who is the founder of Seed Waikato. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you so much for coming through. Of course. Happy Saturday. <laughs> yeah, happy Saturday. Uh, so tell me how this all happened with Seed Waikato, your decision to found it and how it all started and the idea of it. Wow. Um, yeah, right. Okay, let's go back 2016. Okay. Um, few years, yeah. Yep. Um, I was working for Momentum Waikato and we were doing a project called Waikato Vital Signs, diving into some of the community needs and aspirations around a bunch of different themes. Yeah. And we did a youth piece and found that young people were really looking for spaces and places to contribute, to develop, to connect. Um and so at the time, I also was um, on a young leadership program with Rotary and met a young man who'd moved up from the South Island. And he talked about his experience of loneliness moving to Kirikiriroa and not really having a community to connect in with. And also just wanting to know what was going on, like how he could vibe and connect in with different things. And so I thought, okay, well, let's see what's going on in the yep. youth space. And there was just really nothing serving 18 to 35-year-olds, that kind of millennial bracket. Which seems weird because I found out recently that Hamilton has, what is it, the highest youth, youth population in the country. In the country. Yeah, or one of the highest. Or one of the highest. Or the highest per capita. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of young people. I think by 2025, half of the population will be under 25. So, um, yeah, it's a really youthful city, but... We just didn't have many youth-led initiatives at the time. There was yep. a few organizations that were doing stuff to young people. They were like older people doing things to younger people. And that's fine. It's got its place. But I just felt like um, where are the young people leading things for themselves, mm. you know, being involved with the design and implementation. So um, we got a bunch of young people together and who kind of resonated with that desire to find ways to meaningfully connect with each other, to give back and to develop and learn and grow. Were these uni students? And there were a mix. There were some okay. uni students. There was um, some working professionals. There was some that were um, just in between things, trying yep. to find their thing. Um but yeah, we got together, did some interviews with some more young people to find out like, is this something just unique to our little group or is there more of us? Yeah. And there was a, there was a lot. There was a lot. <laughs> there was a lot. And so we threw an event together and had about 90 young people um, down at the Hamilton Gardens and we talked about resilience and just invited three local leaders to talk on the topic. Yeah. And it just resonated so deeply. I think this intersection of uh, a safe space for young people to come together, it's our place to connect um, with some really inspiring people something interesting to say and then I guess using storytelling as a format for young people to understand how it could apply to them you know when we hear great stories you draw out your own golden nuggets and find out what relates and then something stick and and it just kind of naturally progressed from there really so we started doing a few more events um got the legal structure in order um, <laughs> formed a committee. Yeah, do all the stuff really to. How long does that take? Uh, honestly, do not get me started <laughs> on building a charity. Like, wow. Well, we've got a long time. Oh, <laughs> this, you know, part of my other work's in philanthropy because we seriously need some systems change on 
just how challenging it is to i mean it, and rightly that you know we have the most charities yeah i read that we um, oh no was it calvin i think calvin when he was on here he said that new zealand is second only to america when it comes to yeah we, charitable it's donations. insane yeah. yeah for charitable donations we're we're one of the most charitable um most giving countries in the world and that was in a giving report that was out recently i think we're number two now yeah but we have the most charities per capita in the world. So, you know, there are there is a real um, need for it to be difficult to set up a charity for sure because we don't need a hundred youth organisations trying to create positive impact with youth. We need yeah. to strategically think about what outcome would we like to see in the youth space? What is the aspiration? What's the need? And how do we get there? rather than a whole lot of people setting up a charity thinking they've got the way to get there, you know. Mm. So rightly so, it should be a challenge. But my God. <laughs> is it the oh. legal legal stance of it or yeah. is it just a lot of paperwork? It's a lot of admin, you know, and, and where young people got an idea, want to make it happen, let's go, you know. And yeah. it's like, okay, you know, what are the charitable rules, um, you know, what legal structure are we an incorporated society with charitable status? Are we a charity? Um, then there's, you know, you need a formal committee. Then there's, you need formal meetings. You need minutes. You need um, a chair, secretary. You need to pass resolutions. And it's not that these things really? are, like, they've got their place. Like, you need good governance to be able to do great stuff. I fully get that. But it's just, like, this whole, like, the entrepreneurial spirit that's lean and nimble and, you know... <laughs> it's like really you put on the brakes because you've got, you know, these um, structural things in place. And and it's a really big barrier for a lot of other young people. I mean, I've met so many young people over the last couple of years that have an idea that come to me, oh, I want, you know, I've got a heart for this, want to make it happen. Here's a little pop-up project I've got. I said, well, do you have a legal structure? How are you going to get funding to support this? Yeah. Because without that charitable status, you don't qualify for philanthropic funding yeah. most in most cases. So... It was really important we did that work at the start to be able to gain that structure so we could attract funding to be able to grow the aspiration of the organization. Um, but it's certainly been a real challenge because once you get the structure, then you need to be able to prove that you're going to stick around and that this isn't a pop-up, pop-out kind of thing um, hot in the moment, you know. So then, you know, you're still really trying to make – something significant work with very little resource. Mm. Um, so how do you manage that? Well, we've managed that through the incredible generosity of local businesses um, and through the insane contribution of volunteers. Yeah. So how do you – do you just reach out to a, a business and try to explain to them – what C Waikato is? Um, it goes both ways. There's some businesses yep. that are really passionate about youth development and okay. want to align with an organization like Seed. Um, but in other cases, it is reaching out to different businesses that I know really care about our community and it isn't just a PR thing to <laughs> throw a bit of money here and say, we did that, you know. It's yeah. um, a bit more meaningful in its alignment. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Seed is built off the back of volunteers, really. You know, young people that have given their time to volunteer to do accounting or <laughs> How many volunteers legal do you stuff. Have? Um, at the moment, gosh, maybe 10 in permanent roles. Ten. Um, yeah, yep. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's quite a bit. Yeah, that, 
<laughs> it's um, a, it's an incredible group of young people wanting to achieve something remarkable. Yeah. So, yeah. And and that's what we have to do for now, you know. There will always be a role for, for volunteering in the organisation. Um, but... But definitely, you know, I quit my job and, and worked for free for five months to get Seed really moving and, and yeah. I guess going a bit more beyond those events. Like what else could we do here to really serve the aspirations of young people? And so we ended up doing some well-being subsidies. Uh, we did different workshops. We've now done an education pilot around soft skills and teaching young people uh, resilience and confidence. Uh, we did a political project recently to drive youth engagement in local politics. We've done mentoring, and so it was. Kind of, it just ended up being this kind of experimentation phase. Do you do you just work in conjunction with your team to decide what best um, what are the best events to hold and how to reach young people more? Yeah, I guess. Um, or do you ask them directly? We young? ask. It's a tool. Yeah, design yeah, yeah. thinking is at the heart of what we do. Yeah. So. Asking good questions is really important because if you ask a question and they give you an answer, but, um, you know, that actually wasn't really how you could create that change you were looking for, you've yeah. got to go back. But, oh, um, right. yeah, design thinking has been really important to us. How can we be led by the aspirations of our community mm. and really serve that, um, that need with young people along the way? That's really at the heart of what we're trying to do. <laughs> yeah. And I suppose leadership is a core principle of SEED, I suppose, training younger people to be leaders. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that leadership, though, is more about um, how might we facilitate conversations, experiences and opportunities for the young people involved in SEED to realize their potential and step into their greatness. So it's not... It's that, what that looks like is more, you know, um, putting them into different scenarios that they might not have put them their hand up for because they didn't see themselves in that way. Or it's yeah. working through some of those limiting beliefs that they've got about themselves that are holding them back from being able to step into their greatness. Mm. And so... Do you chuck them in the deep end sometimes? Sometimes. Yeah. Absolutely. Because I think sometimes we have a fear of stepping outside of our comfort zones. I'm constantly in the deep end with what I've, I've never done this before, you know. Um, so how do you how do you convince yourself? I mean, do you have people pushing you to do this stuff or do you just make yourself step out of your comfort zone? I've always been somebody that, you know, I've got an inner cheerleader and I've got an inner soccer mum. Right. And the soccer mum is insanely motivating, you know. Yeah. Massive growth mindset principles in there around, you know, um, and I've got to be kind with that because the soccer mum can be a bit rough at times, you yep. know. How could we do it different? What have you missed? Um, what's a better question to ask? Um, what did you learn? You know, it's just this constant series of questions and reflections to yep. move through that progress. I see. But there's certainly some incredible mentors around me as well that have um, that have definitely led me in different directions that I didn't see for myself as well. Mm. People that have seen the greatness within me and helped nurture that um, yeah. and nurture my potential. So, yeah, it's in a soccer mom coupled with a couple of awesome people yeah. keep me in line. <laughs> so what do you think? What do you think a key aspect of leadership is? Um, I would say service. Yeah. For me, it's service. And 
in order to serve, you need to ask questions to help you understand what that service could and should look like. Mm. It's not about coming in and determining a particular direction or, you know, thought or project or whatever. It's Can you see some people, though, that might have a, a natural knack for it? Like they'd naturally just be leaders? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. But like what I mean is because there's, some, there's sometimes a, a negative view in terms of if you ask too many questions, you know, because some mm. people are like, oh, you shouldn't ask that mm. or I shouldn't ask this because – I might be viewed as an idiot. Well, I don't care what people think. I just I know, I, know, I know you don't. I know you don't. <laughs> but what I mean is there'd be some people probably that have the potential within seed, for example, mm. but they don't ask the questions because maybe like or ask you directly because mm. they're worried, oh, I don't want Gemma to think that I'm a loser. Well, then that's on me for setting a, a vibe, you know. Well, you don't give up that vibe, I'm just saying. <laughs> I, but I it might be, hope. but it might be just their own insecurity absolutely. due to previous events or absolutely, yeah. absolutely. It's so important then to, you know, that's for me. Further emphasizes the importance of developing those meaningful relationships with people, so that you can get to the point where we can talk about the real stuff. What's mm. holding you back? What are some of the beliefs that you've, or the stories you've been telling yourself uh, about the reasons why you can't do a thing, um, or you know, have you spent the time to sit and dream and what does that look like? And one of my mentors actually said to me, Jemmy, you know, there's, I'm a dreamer. Absolutely. That's, that's my space. I love to dream, yep. turn ideas into reality, but it's, it's an absolute privilege to be able to dream um, when so many circumstances are affecting um, so many of our young people. And so that's really important. I think in service is mm. to understand. You know, my dream is to see other people be able to dream. But what are those barriers that are in place for for young people? Yeah, and how do we reduce them so that, um, yeah, we see more young people thriving and contributing? That's what excites me. <laughs> yeah, totally. Do you have much one on one though, or do you allocate it more to your team now to do those sort of things? Um. I would say we're all playing a role in, in a bunch of different stuff at the moment. Because um, you must be very, very busy. I don't like that word. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what's another word for busy? Um, Challenge. Purposefully <laughs> occupied. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, uh, if I'm completely honest with you, before I went on maternity leave, it was insane. It was... It was um, you know, trying to build different processes and systems and train people and grow the team and build a new committee. And, oh, it was a lot. But this time out has been really awesome to kind of reflect on what some of my um, challenges are as a leader. And that's certainly, you know, front and center for me is I lack focus often. I want to do all things for all people. And, you know, if you do that, you so can't, you can't do anything focus well. in on one thing because you're you're I'm, doing too many things at I the same see all time. This, see all this opportunity or possibility and, you know, I'm like, oh, well, we could do that. Okay, so let's do that. And it's like, no, no, just because you can doesn't mean you, you should. should. Yeah. And so my learnings over the last kind of six months being out is just, hey, if we got laser sharp focus on one thing or two things as an organization, we would tenfold our impact even more, you know? And so at the heart is really that impact, like – like, you know, by doing all the stuff, it's, you know, wow. But 
we need to get back to what's really at the heart, which is, you know, transforming and empowering young people to step into their potential and do great things. So, yeah, <laughs> that's been um, cool to have a bit of time to reflect on what some of my, um, I want to call them balconies are as a um, leader and, and learnings are in, in building seeds so far. Um, so where do you want to see seed within, say, the next five years, ten years? This is a question I'm pondering at the moment. Mm. But I think it's not for me to answer. It's also a question that the community needs to answer yeah. with me, well, with sometimes, us. Sometimes um, some charities or companies, they just take on a natural evolution. Yeah. You don't yep. even really decide where it's going to go. It just yep. kind of ends up going In a direction. Way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's still um, quite a, a lot of young people, I'd imagine, that still don't even know what CYCADO oh, is. Oh, hugely, hugely. Yeah, yeah. So how do, you, how do you go about reaching these people? Um, these people, my young people. <laughs> um, we, at the start, used social media. Um, it, was a, it was insane how effective social media oh, it's was. It's the way of the future in terms of marketing. Whoa. Um, this is why a lot of television companies and media companies are losing a lot of money. Yep, to, going on social. Yep. yep. Um, and that was really, really awesome for those events. But um, I think going forward, what's going to be really important is not necessarily the number of people that are involved in different things. It's not necessarily how many people can we reach the most, you know, yeah. how big can it be? But it's more about how deep can we develop those relationships with young people and how transformational will that impact be? Yeah. And so that's a different conversation than when you think about growing seed. It's not like let's chuck up an ad and do a boost and whatever, you know. It's more relationship, meeting young people, mm. connecting in where they are. Because I think I found out about it through just someone telling me about it. Yeah. Have you heard of Seed by Cardo? And I'm like, what's that? Yeah. And then, through uh, work or? Uh, I think it was someone who's actually already who was already going. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, I think they told me about it. And then at some point, I think some event was on Facebook. And you know how sometimes you scroll through your news feed and it tells you that someone else has gone, yes. is going to an event, yeah. even if you don't even know about the event. And I was like, what's this? And that's that's how I learned about it. What event was that? What was your first one? I think it was, I think it was in September last year. You had a couple of guests. <sighs> September last year. Oh, this year. Sorry. Oh, my gosh. Oh. I'm getting my years mixed up. Yeah, September this year. This year. What, that was Brienne West from Atik? Was it? No. Maybe. Well, Jason Dawkins was there. Oh, Jason. Um, oh, yeah. So, Jason. Was that September? I can't remember. I'm terrible. That would have been May or June, maybe. I don't know. That was um, Okay, well, I've got my cool months one. all out of whack. <laughs> It's okay. It's nearly Christmas. Um, what did you think? What was like? What drew you to come along? Well, I'm originally from Auckland, um, and I think when you move to a new city, mm-hmm. and particularly in my case, I didn't move and I started going to a university or some type of you know polytech or anything like that. I just kind of started a new job, and so I was limited to pretty much my workplace. Um, and I wasn't really doing any sports things or mm-hmm. anything. And it can be sometimes very difficult to meet people. Absolutely. Yeah. So it was kind of a way uh, for me to meet new people cool. as well. Because I like meeting new people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And how did you find like 
the space? Like, did you meet some new people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, it had a really, really good vibe to it. Yeah. The only problem is, like, with those sort of things is um, uh, you don't really get around to talking to everyone that you yeah. can. Like, particularly if you're on one table, table. you tend yeah. to be on that table. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I tried to get it. I mean, I wanted to talk to Jason and I didn't even get a chance to talk to him. Yeah. Um, but I met Louise. Oh, uh, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where I first met Louise. Um, and obviously, I met yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, I did meet, like, a few people. But then, um, obviously, podcasting has kept me busy and I haven't been able to go to all the events. But yeah. Yeah, I definitely do want to go again at some point. Because how often do you have them? Is it every we couple months? We were doing them every month. Um, that but would be real, real hard to maintain, surely. Yeah, the events volunteers are remarkable. Um, they pull it together, um, really. And, yep. you know, it's not just like a, we'll invite some people in and do a thing. You know, there's it's a really well-run event, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. We've had a few people. I remember Jamie Strange came along and said, the events are so well run that he'd never been to another event that was so well run. I was like, whoa, Jamie, that's pretty cool. I um, had him on here, eh? He's a, he's a nice guy. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. lovely. Yeah, he's a very, very lovely guy. Oh, that's that's a huge compliment for him to say that. Oh, wow, well, I thought he so Because he goes to heaps of events, I'm And sure. I was like, are you just being political? Oh, like, is this a real compliment? No. <laughs> he seems like a genuine guy, he though. Is. He yeah, is, yeah. Because sure. you know how there's some politicians that just... Oh, they just lie through their teeth or they're just totally. saying what they um, want. They think that you want to hear. Yeah. I get the vibe from him that he's not like that. Nah. And yeah. he's got a youth development background, you know, as yeah, a teacher. Yeah. He's real, yeah, real yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, what about the develop, like, you know, the speakers? What did they do for you when you were at the event? Uh, I think it depends, I mean, on what type of style speaker you like. Yeah. Um, bit of an interesting background, but. Uh, years ago because I used to be like a, a very very uh, religious person and so I used to attend church quite regularly yeah but it was one of those more it's not like a Catholic church yeah but more one of those modern day Pentecostal churches Stop. so so I'm used to like preachers being like yo yeah. be on fire for God you know like so I was used to that style of speaking because in, yeah. in some ways I suppose um Pastors are, in a way, just public speakers uh -huh. or, or lecturers. Fantastic public Yeah, speakers. yeah. So if you've got a very, very good speaker, you know, it really resonates with you. And now and then they'd have like a guest pastor in mm -hmm. from America or some other country. And if they, if I didn't believe what they were saying, I would just switch off mm. and start zoning out. Like, oh, what should I have for lunch? Uh, you know, <laughs> just stuff like that. Yeah. So it really depends on the speaker. Like Jason Dawkins, for example, he's very... Um, He's very direct and he's, he's got a lot of charisma and body language mm. in the way he speaks. So mm. it's really easy to be engaged when he's speaking. Mm. Um, so it just depends on the speaker. On speaker. But yeah. some people don't like that because I've talked yeah. to some people and they're like, ah, oh, this isn't it's a performance. Yeah. 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 So it, I think it depends on the person. But you can't, you can't satisfy everybody. No. And that's why we chose to have a couple of speakers at every event. Yeah. Um, because then if... Jason isn't your thing. It's okay. In 11 minutes, it's going to be finished. And then there's somebody else that might resonate on a deeper level for you. Yeah. Um, but it's funny you bring up church because I also grew up in a rah-rah Pentecostal church. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. Um, massive in Australia. Like yeah. huge. Oh, yeah, mosh pits. Hillsong. You know? Hillsong. I was yeah. at Hillsong. Um, yeah. And I went to City Point College, a really big um, Christian school in Brisbane. Um, and the model of church hugely inspired the model of seed in ways because mm. you know it's a group of people coming together to be inspired about something that should resonate at a soulful level for you in your life yeah um 
And we've also ex- like toyed with the idea, um, you know, you would have done life groups when you were at church. Oh, yeah, you totally. Know, yep, yep. What would it look like once a week or once a month to get together with a bunch of like-minded people in someone's home and just go a bit deeper on what we talked about at church, you know, yeah. in a non-church way. But I mean, I think I think there's uh, within non-religious circles, there's a, a sometimes they view church and they just roll their eyes sort yeah. of thing. But I think... It's also, a community. Yeah, it is a community, just like there are other communities. And I think also... I think because of films and media, I think some people's perception of church is the old yeah. Catholic oh, for sure. style where you just sit in a church. In and, the pew. Yeah, sit yeah. quietly. And, it's, and I'm like, if you go to modern day churches, it's not like that at yeah. all. Sometimes it feels like you're in a, having a party. Oh, totally. It's a vibe. <laughs> it's like a concert sometimes, with, you know, because they have a full on stage and a full on band and, yep. you know, and they're getting really into it. Yeah. I've actually um, started going to Tadotani, which is just down the road. Yeah. Um, and they have such awesome music and such a cool vibe. People are really down to earth, shoes off, you know, <laughs> <laughs> just like come as you are. And, yeah, yeah. And that's been really nice to connect back in with that spiritual part of me. But um, yeah, definitely understand what you're saying about the rah-rah and the <laughs> let's get down the front and march. Yeah, and- yeah, yeah. Because it'd be uh, the odd time where I take people to church and they'd be like, ah. Oh. Okay, I get this it. is not ex- what I thought it would be. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. like, yeah, what did you think it would be? Well, you know, those movies. Yeah. You know, I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, I know what you're talking Stupid about. Stupid media. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh, it, that's cool that you're actually inspired by it because mm. there's a lot of um, positive aspects and I think it's very, very good in terms of the community building. Totally. And service as well, you know, like you get involved with church and then you might volunteer to do kids' church. And, you know, like the model, I guess, you know, of volunteering and generosity and giving back. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's there. That's church, yeah. Of community and connecting with people at a real level, you know, where if you're moving house, somebody knows and they'll probably rock up and yeah. give you a hand. Do you work any um, with conjunction with any of the uh, churches within Hamilton? Oh no, no. Nah. Seed is like apolitical, agnostic. But what, yeah, yeah. But what know. I mean, what I mean is more in terms of um, like young people, like uh, young people within churches. Are, are there any like people that go to church that also go to Seed in terms of where you've advertised? Maybe? I, I'm not sure. I, I don't even know. I mean, there's de- definitely some people because that... I, I went to um, there's a church uh, when I first came down here. I was. At Hamilton Girls High School. Ah, uh, yeah, Arise. Arise, yeah. yes. That yeah. Was it. And there's a hell of a lot of young people there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I'm wondering, I'm like... Do you connect they, in? Yeah, would they even know what CYKata was? Not sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not sure. That's interesting talk, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you've also... Because you did a bit of stuff for the uh, Hamilton uh, Central Business Association. Yeah, you had, yeah. You spent some time there. What were you doing there? I was just... Um, I was a council-appointed member, so I was just on the committee, really. So what do they do? What does the committee actually do? What do they do? That is I think when the people question. say, yeah, oh, I'm on a committee. It's like, what do you do, bro? Yeah. <laughs> it's no. like, because I'm, I'm trying to get Helen Clark on here. Yeah, wicked. And she's... Auntie Helen. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see how it goes. But um, obviously, she spent some time in the UN. Yeah. But I, I actually just want to ask her, like, what, what do you what do? do? What do you actually do in the yeah. UN? I think some people are like, oh, you can't ask that. But I'm like, no, I ask it. I don't actually think a lot of people know. They're just like, oh, the UN, it kind of just oversees things. Yeah. But I'm like, yeah, but what do you actually do? These are very good questions. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody needs to ask them. No. Yeah. Uh, what but do you then do? it comes back to the fear of, oh, you don't want to ask a question because it makes you look like an idiot. No way. Be but, bold, you know. Yeah, yeah. Somebody's but I, probably if not I don't asking. know something, I'm going to ask it. Get regardless of whether I look like a dork or not. 
I love it. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, uh, segue there. But uh, the so the committee thing. So what was yeah. what was your role mainly? Um. So it was really a sound. I mean, Vanessa is incredible. She is an absolute weapon and rips around just bringing different projects, linking people, um, and really activating the vibrancy of the CBD. And yep. so a lot of it at times was really a soundboard for what's really going on, what what projects are moving, um, what collaborations are happening, um, obviously looking at the finances and making sure that everything's mm. in check there, um, the CBD awards um, as well. Yeah. Have you heard about them? I have heard about them. Yeah. I would love to go. Absolutely, but, get amongst it But next you have year. to be invited, don't you? You can get a ticket. Oh, can you? Oh. You absolutely can. Okay, all right. None of this exclusive stuff. All right, all right. Um, I thought for some reason I thought it was. Yeah, no. Okay, but now I know. So there's a bit of planning and, and um, sometimes assessing around CBD awards, um, but it was a very short stint. Um, I realized that I really wanted to focus my time and energy in philanthropy and youth development, mm-hmm. and so I stepped off that and got involved with Philanthropy New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah. But do you do you understand do you understand now from someone who's been on the inside with the uh, Central Business District uh, Association, like what you know how you hear people that say, "Oh, the Hamilton CBD is dead." Yeah. You know? But can you actually, from being in there yeah. and seeing how it all works, and yeah. do you understand why? Gosh. Like, are the perceptions wrong for starters? I think everyone has two cents about everything. There was a lot of frustration about why can't I park outside the shop that I want to go to, you know? And it's like, we are a growing city now, yeah. you know? That is not the reality you, anymore. You go to any CBD. I mean, I was just in Auckland oh. last week. I'm like, you're not going to be parking out no. in front of any shop. And for free? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. Oh, that's an interesting concept. But look, to be honest, I didn't get too into the detail on mm. some of those things. I it should was get Vanessa on. Get Vanessa on. She is a pocket rocket and yeah, she yeah. is just a dynamo at making stuff happen that is building the vibrancy of the C B D. You know? It's it's remarkable what she does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll have to get her on. Yeah. Shout out, Vanessa. <laughs> yes, Vanessa. Please come on. Yeah. <laughs> um. So philanthropy. Yeah. Because you on um. What was the name of the uh, What's the name of the organization? Um. Philanthropy New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. one. Yeah. Yep. Um. So what do you want to know? <laughs> well, one why you why you chose to get into philanthropy in New Zealand and then what was yep. actually involved yep. um, with the with the organization. Yep, sure. So when I was working at Momentum Waikato, that I had no idea what philanthropy was when I was at uni. I was studying management and majored in strategy and just knew by fourth year, I didn't want to work in corporate. I wanted to align my personal values with my mahi. Mm-hmm. And Cheryl Reynolds, the inaugural CEO of Momentum, came and spoke at one of my classes. Um, I had absolutely no idea about half the stuff she was saying, but I thought that's, you know, a really inspiring woman who has aligned her values to do something meaningful in the world. Mm. Um, And so I started volunteering and then became the second employee there. And through that process of kind of going, like it was real startup at that that point, obviously. Yeah. Um, So uh, doing research around the world around strategic philanthropy. What is philanthropy? Mm. What's high impact philanthropy? How do you serve donors? What do donors want? Um, How do you serve a community? How do you give money away? Like all these questions I was like, 
whoa, this is so interesting, you know? Um, And as my time went on within the organization, I just really developed a heart for thinking more strategically about how we give money away and obviously seeing that a lot of um, philanthropy, traditional philanthropy, is focused on kind of BAU in a way where we've got huge needs in our communities. And, you know, philanthropy is these charitable trusts that are, you know, giving money away to serve those needs. But where is the money going that actually sees in 5, 10, 15, 20 years us no longer giving money to that issue. Yeah, well, right? this is just the thing is you don't want to just give people money. You want to give them the means to be able to uh, work and and uh, help themselves, really. Absolutely. And the, however, there's a lot of issues that are systemically – we've arrived at them through a number of different issues and systems. And so – if we continue to do, and we absolutely need to do the school lunches, you know, as an example, you mm. know, but why are so many kids going to school hungry? What are the factors that have influenced that to be a reality yeah, today? I think that's a really important question. And absolutely. I don't, and, and sometimes I feel um, the government, I feel like they just throw money at a wall and just hoping something sticks. I think everyone's doing the best they can. I'm going to be very diplomatic and say, but we need some strategic thinking in there, you know? Because, yeah, I do wonder that. I'm like, why are kids going to school without any footwear or without any food? It's not okay, you know? And the the problem is not actually the child. It it stems somehow with the parents or the household or Mm -hmm. something that's happening within there that's dictating this kid... Not going Absolutely. to school. And then what's the environment that that family or those parents are in that have brought them to those circumstances as well, you know? So for me, I really wanted to understand how can we keep asking why on some of these big issues and, you know, as funding bodies, how can we facilitate more meaningful grant making? It's not saying let's redirect all the money to be more strategic, but it's saying where in the funding landscape are we funding things at a systems level to see a long-term intergenerational impact? And so part of, I guess, <laughs> yeah, doing like thinking about that in terms of money going out, then I was thinking with seed, it's like, okay, well, as a grassroots organization doing the thing, how can we start to think more strategically around why we're doing what we're doing? How could we not do what we're doing in 10 years? Mm. How could we really solve a problem? And so if we're seeing a whole lot of young people come out of pipeline that need community, that don't have whanau, that don't know how to develop their potential, that lack resilience, have mental health challenges, and the list goes on, what do we need to do over here to be able to, like, stop that pipeline of young people coming out this end. And so that's a space we'll probably get into over the next couple of years, real advocacy and research and development around, well, hang on, why are we even, why do we even need to exist and how can we actually solve a problem so that we exist in a different way in 5, 10, 15 years? Do you have a lot of debate over it though? Because I'd imagine everyone would have, you know, different thoughts on how you can solve the problem. Mm-hmm. It's just like how with politics, you know, people, mm-hmm. everyone has a comment on how they think they can fix the issue. Mm-hmm. Nine times out of 10, people don't know what the hell they're talking about, yeah. though, myself <laughs> included. So even even when it comes to this stuff, yeah. so, oh, well, you can solve 
poverty by doing this mm. no you can do it this way or mm. you can do it that way and it's i don't think it's as simple as that i mean obviously it's not simple. yeah yeah and otherwise it would have been done yeah yeah right yeah that's exactly right and you're more on the inside than say i am so mm. obviously you know a lot more than i do but it's it's not i think it's about understanding what those lived experiences are listening you know asking great questions like what you're doing with your podcast <laughs> Asking great questions to understand what are the different circumstances. Like um, one of my mentors will say, I'm obsessed with why. Like I am just relentless. And sometimes with some serious analysis paralysis of just going, why, why, why? Still not making sense. Why, why, why? And so often it's more about entertaining different ideas and different views and different perspectives. Do you ever go into any of these communities and try and spend some time with the specific people? Um, I haven't done that in my work in philanthropy per se, um, but in my work with Seed, absolutely. I'm, I'm not sitting in my own head, just kind of like, thinking about this um, and doing that. Yeah. You know, it really is informed and led by what I hear, yeah. you know? And so absolutely we're asking those questions and my lived experience with mental distress as well, you know, that has informed a lot of what I'm doing and why I'm doing it because that suffering was insane. Yeah, <laughs> That was a really hard time in my life. And, you know, why did I get there? Why was I addicted to drugs? Why did I get drug-induced bipolar schizophrenia? Why was that so hard to overcome? Why were there so many challenges? You know, and so... Because it's a big problem in New Zealand. Oh, we have a crisis in the mental, you yeah. know, there's a mental health crisis. And so why are we in that space? And you can't just say, oh, young people don't have resilience or... Well, I think it's also, we, we have a bit of a culture here in New Zealand where we like to celebrate. Mm-hmm. We do. Mm-hmm. But then sometimes I feel we use alcohol and other forms of drugs to mask an issue and we Absolutely. don't actually deal with the root cause of it. Absolutely. And Absolutely. I don't, I don't. I don't actually know why that is, though. What what's caused that? Mm-hmm. You know, say for example, you know, we binge drink here, mm-hmm. whereas you know, there's places in Europe or say in Japan, mm-hmm. you know, where you can just drink alcohol, but they're a lot more. Uh, what's the word? A lot more. Um, What's the word? Restrained? Yeah, restrained. <laughs> or just a lot more, uh, yeah, they're just mature or responsible yeah, with, responsible. Their, with, yeah, with yeah. their drinking, you know? Yeah. But I just, so I don't understand why we do it here. It's definitely like a culture thing. You know, it's, it's a bit of a norm to, you yeah. know, hearing what you're saying about moving here from Auckland and the challenges around, you're not into sport, you're not into, say, pottery class or whatever. So what do you do? Well, you might go out and meet people, you yeah, know, having yeah. a few drinks, house party there, you know, like, and it's I've, like, oh, that I've, can't be the only way. I've never been um, a real hardcore drinker per se. I mean, yeah. I have the odd beer now and then, but yeah. I think a lot of that stems from the fact that growing up, I was subjected, not within my family, uh, but more around a lot of the social groups I saw mm-hmm. and I saw a lot of the negatives um, from drugs and alcohol. Yeah. So it kind of put me off. Um, and but, I wish I wish I had seen, I saw the same thing but then and also, was curious. Yeah, you know? but here's the thing. Why? Here's the thing because as a as young person, and everybody wants to feel included, mm-hmm. you'd, and, you know, there's always peer pressure and you want to be accepted by your peers mm-hmm. and you want to receive affirmation. And sometimes you might do something Maybe, and it, there's a curiosity aspect as well. Mm-hmm. It's like, I want to try this. Mm. But I also know for myself, 
I know my weaknesses and I know I have a very addictive personality. Mm-hmm. Once I get stuck into something. You're all in. I'm all in, yep. 100% in. So um, that's why I've never done any drugs of any kind because wow, I'm, I'm that's like. that's massive. Yeah. Because, well done you. That's <laughs> mad self-control. But that's only because I was able to acknowledge my own weaknesses, right? Yep. But sometimes you're not even aware of what your weaknesses no are. No way. Subconscious thing. Absolutely. I had no idea that, you know, I had an addictive personality. I didn't understand that I probably had undiagnosed mental health issues as a teenager. And mm. so for me, using drugs and alcohol was like this, like escapism was like, oh, finally, it's quiet in there. You know, like mm. so many questions. Like, oh, yeah. I don't know if you can tell, but I like to ask questions. <laughs> but um, that's good. You're like me. Yeah. So, and I was, I just wanted to have fun. Like, I just wanted to just shut up up there and just let's just live. And unfortunately, it just became the snowball thing. Um and I think, too, you know, addiction meets an unmet human need. That's something I read recently. And for me, I if I look back, I, I was looking for real friends, real... Um, and that's actually pretty hard to find. It is hard to find, yeah. you know, to just radically be yourself and accept who you are, your quirks and all. Yeah. To show up in the world like that and say, okay, where's my weirdos? You know? Like, yeah, but it's like, <laughs> oh, weirdos. Yeah. You know? I mean, I'm a bit of a weirdo. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, oh, you nerd or you yeah. clown or... But, I but think there's it, other nerds and clowns. It's like, I want to find my people. Where yeah, are you? Yeah. <laughs> um, but there's also a bit in there too around like... Um, like just being okay with what made me me and mm. you know like I ask a lot of questions I am curious I do like to ask why 10 times and so if I had a bit of direction maybe that was like okay here's somebody you could ask 10 questions to yeah. <laughs> you know and kind of engage at that level yeah but because um, you've been through what you've been through that means if someone else is going through something similar that's it you'll have the w- knowledge and the wisdom to be able to help them out, right? At times, yes. Like, let's say if you and me both spoke to someone who's, who's you know, doing drugs and stuff, mm-hmm. like, I wouldn't be able to relate as mm-hmm. much as you can, mm-hmm. you know, because you've actually been in that situation. That's right. So you'll see it from a different perspective. That's it. Yeah. And that's why lived experience is so important in informing what we do, yeah. you know, from a funding perspective. That's right. If you're somebody, you know, say say yourself, and you've been put in a in a decision making um, uh, position, and you're to make a decision on how best to solve the mental health crisis, and you have no lived experience, yeah, you have no connection to the issue. This is just for example, and then you're given fifty million dollars to decide how best to invest, you know, and sometimes what happens is there isn't any consultation with the people with the lived experience or the people with the lived experience, their their experience gets fed back. But for whatever reason, decisions are made and what actually would have really cut through there just doesn't happen. So I think it's so important, like I've realized now, to to own my truth and to own my story and to share that because one, I can find my people. Yeah. <laughs> I can find my other crazy people. <laughs> and two, though, it helps us make better decisions and I can align that with, you know, something I'm passionate about, which is philanthropy. Yeah. So when with philanthropy, um, in terms of funding, when when the money is, you know, a, a grant or fundraising or whatever it is and it's funded to a specific thing, mm-hmm. is there anyone 
that can actually provide some insight into that situation who's been in it like when when you worked there mm-hmm. were you working in conjunction with people who knew a lot more than say yourself or absolutely people, yeah okay. absolutely that was I so think, important for us i sometimes wonder i mean um using politics as an example is a lot of these people that are funding or putting allocating money mm-hmm. they might not have necessarily been in that situation mm-hmm. so they and that's not necessarily a bad thing no it is not i think that's important yeah, to note because if you can be a leader that you know asks the right questions to see that a good process is followed you don't need to be the one with all the answers. You just need to ensure that yeah. you're putting good process in place. That's you know? right. That's right. And so when we did our grant, we worked with some groups that, you know, had lived experiences, were led by that community, for that community. Um, you know, it was it was a really, uh, really fascinating process to go through just in terms of learning, you mm. know, what that can look like when you engage with different individuals on issues that those communities are affected by and really just say, you know, how can we help you? Rather than we're, we're here to save the day, we've got the money, we'll decide what happens. You know, it's a very flipped approach. Can you get a bit frustrated though with, uh, I mean, because you want to allocate money to a cause, but then you're not sure. Because here's the thing, I think sometimes individuals don't want to acknowledge your own flaws or mm-hmm. their own decision making mm-hmm. um, yes. and they just blame others like oh it's my parents fault or mm-hmm. it's the government's fault and I see this all the time mm-hmm. and it's like and look life is not fair mm-hmm. people get dealt a bad hand mm-hmm. but I do think uh, no one is going to fully stop you from educating yourself or bettering yourself mm-hmm. and I think it's a matter of sometimes teaching these people that ability at times, yes, but at times there are so many circumstances that are really holding people back. I mean, to not even be able to know where your next meal's coming from. Yes. You know, you can't think about how am I going to get educated or, you know, you're thinking how are my kids going to get their school uniforms because we don't have any money. Yeah. I mean, that place is so far down Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah, if we yeah. were to go there, yeah. you know, that the thought of moving to another stage, I mean, and, and there's many reasons why people have arrived in such difficult financial circumstances. I've been following Raising Ziggy on Instagram and she's... Oh, yes. Have you heard of her? I have heard of the name, but I have not seen the... She is phenomenal. She is shining a light on um, so many different things for families at the moment and in particular how we donate food yep. around this time of year. And she was just getting the most remarkable stories sent into her that she was sharing on her Instagram about why people are going to food banks at this time of the year um, and just kind of fully blowing off the rhetoric around, you know, you could have saved, um, you could have worked harder, um, you could have gotten a different job, you know. The experiences of people living in poverty in this country is just, is unbelievable. So Yeah, yeah. I do, um, I'll give you an example though. So, because obviously Auckland, for example, is ridiculously expensive. Mm-hmm. Um and part of the reason I moved is because I, with the type of work I was doing, I was like, well, the cost of living is cheaper. Mm-hmm. You know, I can actually afford to buy a house down here. Mm-hmm. Um, and where some people, you know, they, they complain about their situation, mm-hmm. like say their situation in Auckland, but they have the means to actually relocate, relocate if they want to. But it's 
they just can't justify it in their head. Yeah. Um, well, for, that's a mindset thing, right? It is, it yeah? is. You've got the means, you know, there's probably a different set of circumstances if if you can't even think past, you know, how we how are we going to put food on the table today, let yeah. alone. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's a scarcity mindset. It's a, I get a bit different fr- place. Yeah, I get a bit frustrated with some of my Auckland friends though because they complain about all the time about Auckland and house prices and their rent and stuff. And, and I'm like, look, I get it. I was in there. Yeah. But I'm like, you can move. No, like, no, 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 we can't, mi- we can't move. I'm that like, why not? That speaks to your mindset, you know. You've realized, like, I'm not going to be a victim of this circumstance. I am going to use my power of choice yeah, yeah. to decide where to next So Because that's, that's a situation where those people have the means to get out. When you're talking mm. about food banks and stuff, yes, mm. that is a completely different thing. Yeah. I do find it weird, though. Like, you know, a lot of these grocery stores and takeaways places and stuff, when it gets to the end of the, the night, they just dump oh. all the food. Yeah. I think there's actually something in Paris that they recently did where at the end of the night, you're actually allowed to give food. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know Go Eco does a bunch of work around food collection with Carvolution and redistribution. Yeah, yeah. And they've actually got this other service where if you've got excess fruit and veg on your property, they'll actually come and pick it up and redistribute it to their... Um, I think they've got like a free store where yeah. people can go in and grab stuff for free. I'm like, wow, that's such a good concept. It's you know? just, I just find the whole thing bizarre, you know, when you've got mm. all these people that are starving and that we're throwing away food. And Hugely. you've been to Cambodia. I yeah. mean, I've been to India. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 So you probably have a good idea of what poverty is in, in Asian countries. Yeah. It's on a whole another yeah. level compared to here. Yeah. Um, so, like, I mean, that really, I did a, a, a massive 180 on a lot of my views and stuff once. Yeah, wow. When was that? When did you go? Uh, last year. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. And what, what did you do while you were over there? Well, because my partner's Indian, so yeah. um, I went mainly to see her family and stuff. But yeah. she has real, real rich family and real, real poor family. Yeah. Um, and, like, it's just one of those things you can't avoid. I mean, yeah. you literally land in Mumbai, you look to your left, and there's just slums for Wow. miles yeah. miles and you can't actually avoid it like everywhere you walk you could see massive um buildings and then slums next to it we were in this i think it was like a 10 million dollar apartment whoa and then you look out the window and it's just slums wow so it's just it's yeah and, and it messes with, yeah mind-blowing yeah. yeah it is mind-blowing and um i mean there were a number of times where i cried yeah wow. just because just because of it's like man and here i am complaining mm in New Zealand, you know, about stupid little things like, oh man, house prices and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's such a good perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do think that traveling really enhances the mind. Absolutely. I think I if you actually travel. took, yeah, I think, I think a lot of Kiwis don't realize how privileged they are, yep. you know, and I don't, and cause you know, I mean, traveling anywhere from New Zealand is a is, massive undertaking. <laughs> yeah. And it's expensive. You it know, is. If, if, and again, another privilege. You yeah. Know? Yeah. It is expensive. And, you know, and most people will what? They'll go to Australia because that's the cheapest place. But yeah. if you actually, and when people go on holidays, they're not going to Cambodia or, no. you know, India or some summer. Some are, but, yeah. but the majority aren't, right? They'll yeah. go to America Fiji. or Fiji yeah. or yeah. some holiday. They're not going to go. Raro. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and I think, I think like if you took every single Kiwi, and then you put them in, say, Cambodia or something for like two months, and mm. then you brought them back. I think a lot of them would probably appreciate. What oh, they for have. sure. Yeah, for sure. But there, there's certainly so many people here living in terrible circumstances. Oh yeah, there are no doubt, no doubt. Cambodia was um, 
an interesting story. I was I would have been about fourteen, I think. So what was the reason you went? My parents were really um I was a challenging teenager, let's say that. <laughs> um, sorry, mum and dad. Um, and one day they said, pack your bag, we're dropping you off and you're going somewhere. And that place ended up being YWAM in Brisbane, a Christian mission organisation. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah, I found out I was going to Cambodia for two weeks on a missions trip. And... Um, Absolutely hated my parents for dropping me off and all that rah-rah. And then after probably day three, I was just like, oh, my goodness, Gemma, like this is a perspective. And I think, I think too, um, that really solidified a, a really strong value of service in mm. my being um, of, you know, at that time volunteer tourism wasn't a thing. You know, we would have been probably one of three groups of Western people I saw in Cambodia the entire time I was there. This is over 10 years ago. Um, and tourism wasn't really big there or anything. But we were working in a volu- in an orphanage out of Phnom Penh and, um, you know, working with kids. All the children at the village in this orphanage um, were HIV positive and had no family members left whatsoever. And so that you know, the the owners of the orphanage, that's what they wanted to do, that this want, they wanted their focus to be. And then they also worked with women to get them off the streets out of prostitution and making quilts that were then sold to the Westerners that took them back to their countries. And, you know, it was just remarkable to spend time with these children. And some of them were my age and older at the time mm. that had the most abundant mindset the biggest hearts, so much kindness. I I remember one day they got a big delivery of jewellery from some random group. I don't know how the jewellery got there. And the kids were sharing it with, you know, all the volunteers. And, you know, it was just like, wow. And here I am, you know, being a little shit, not being grateful for what I have, the opportunity to be educated, um, to grow up in Australia, you know. And so... Um, I think I ended up, I went back two more times and I brought girlfriends with me each yep. time we went back and we'd co- come in and do a project and we'd fundraise before we went so that we had some money to give. I would definitely not recommend doing um, volunteer tourism. It, it, it has become its own industry and it's really difficult to decipher. Has an orphanage been set up because it's going to attract money from people from other countries. And so we're going to take children or children will be given because they can create some money through that. Oh, yeah. It's terrible. Um, So I wouldn't really recommend doing that now, but um, that was definitely a lot of soul searching for me and a real heart for um, for service yeah. and giving back, you know. I think it would be very difficult for anyone to go to and see those sort of things and not be impacted in some way. Yeah. It's yeah. so heavy. I just remember feeling so heavy, you know, and we'd drive past all the big factories where Nike and, um, you know, all the, you know, clothing stuff was made and people were, you know, a dollar an hour or whatever it was. And just the, the living conditions was just unbelievable so mm. a real perspective on you know definitely, what really matters definitely because okay? i know a lot of kiwis that have only traveled to australia yeah and then yep. i think it gives them a bit of a distorted reality and they're like oh, new zealand sucks because yeah. they're comparing it to australia yeah 
Yeah. Well, what I heard a lot at the start with Seed was Hamilton sucks. And I was like, okay, so what are we going to yeah. do about it? Yeah. What would you like to do? How can you contribute to making this a city you'd be really proud to live in? And so that just changed the conversation from let's sit around and complain about how silly, whatever, boring, yeah. whatever. It's like, okay, cool. What can we do about it? Let's do something. Because I got a lot of crap when I moved from Auckland down here. <laughs> yeah, I from, yeah, from Auckland. Is it like, really? You're moving to Hamilton? Oh, I love the Tron. It's such a cool place. <laughs> I do think I do think it gets a lot of um, unnecessary heat from people, and they just bag on it. Yeah, um, for sure. Without even knowing what they're talking about, or their their view of it might be from I don't know, fifteen years ago or mm. something. So it gets a bit it gets a bit annoying for sure. But um, you know, we got an interesting thing that Jason Dawkins said when I went to I went to one of those Grow Waikato events yep. that Jamie Strange hosts, and yep. Jason Dawkins spoke there, and he said one of the things that Hamilton needs is a nighttime economy. Oh, okay. Which it's I like thought more, was interesting. More restaurants and bars open. I think well, I think he was specifically stating that it doesn't really have much of a nightlife. I am probably paraphrasing right. here and Jason if you're watching this and I've got it wrong, my bad. But um <laughs> come on the show, Jason. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh which I thought was quite interesting. Yeah, like stuff cool stuff to do at night, maybe not like food and eating, but like when I go back to Brisbane, there's so much cool shit on, like, yeah, you know, ferry rides, you can go on the eye in South Bank, there's markets, there's um, just like weird, you know, like down the Gold Coast, you can go to Infinity, it's just like all these rooms, you've got to try find how to get to the next room. Yeah. We've got the escapist. Um, I mean, I, I, I remember when Paula was on here and, and we were talking about, you know, revitalizing the CBD, mm-hmm. so to speak. Uh we both acknowledge that it's not something that's just going to be instantaneous. Yeah. It's something that's going to gradually happen over yeah. time. I mean, I've just seen over the last month or two, you know, there's all these new restaurants and yeah. Naughty yep. Nun and then even Movenpick's open. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, the theatre will be great once that's in. I mean, that's yeah, going to yeah. activate majorly a whole lot of vibrancy in the CBD. And yeah. I think seeing more of those, um, like, um, townhouses in town, ta- like more, yeah, yeah, like uh, that's great. Some people, some people prefer that, you know, um, in, a, in, a, in a city living, yeah. Yep. And yeah. it's not, you know, it's not. Um, oh gosh, I, I was going to say it's not too expensive, but it is expensive to buy a house. <laughs> I mean, I, mean, affo- <laughs> I, 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 I discussed this with Calvin, but I was like, affordable housing is not really affordable housing, and he's like, yeah, yeah it isn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we managed to get our place by, I think we had seven people living with us at one point. Mm. Um, and um, Jesse's, my partner's parents also contributed so that we could get in like on the deposit. And like, we just had to think differently about how we could own a home. And it wasn't that we were going to, we, we will never be able to own a home at this rate with my work in charity. Yeah. <laughs> we won't be able to own a home on our own, but does that matter? Like, I think at times too, there's this like mentality of you got to own your home. And it's like, why? Why do well, we I need... think I think the perception is is so you know when you retire, right? Yeah, there's okay. some money. Yeah, yep. I think there's that's I there. th- yeah. There's yeah. something there. You know, you don't want to be working, I suppose, and still paying rent when you're 85. True, true. Yeah, so probably that's but how the mindset. Does it work in those European countries? I know there's a lot of European countries where it's quite but, the norm to rent. Yeah, although I do think because you know we don't have capital gains tax. Yeah, and, and so much of our investments are in residential property. True. You know, there's people out there who have like 80, own 80 houses, you know, which I think is a yeah. bit greedy. 
Well, my, I don't know enough uh, about the housing stuff to yeah, get yeah, into but, that. But, but, but like, you know, uh, I was recently in Auckland and I caught up with quite a few people and um, you don't, I just mentioned housing and they just get really depressed. Mm. I mean, if you think of it, how hard it is for us, mm. can you imagine how hard trying. it will be for the next generation? Oh, yeah. You uh, know? It's all got to be thought differently, you know, the way we're thinking yeah, about it now. Yeah, yeah. I, I had a very interesting chat with Calvin about it when he was on because yeah. you know how he used to be city growth manager of um, yeah. Hamilton City Council so he was speaking on how um, people can actually have tenure you know they might not own the land but they could own the house yeah true yeah, yeah different models eh? yeah different yeah. models different models and I think that's the way going forward I mean I mean a lot of these big cities around the world people don't own homes they just mm. live in apartments or townhouses mm. and I kind of feel that's the direction Auckland's going mm. um, I mean every time I go up there there's a new high rise in a new townhouse no. well i went up the other week and i just felt like i was in another country there's so much like hustle there's so much energy it's and changed so much... it's changed Ooh. a lot within the four years that i've been gone from there yeah. it's, it's changed quite dramatically yeah yep. so i definitely notice it but even some of my friends come down here from auckland they're like oh Wow, Hamilton's way different. Yeah. Know? Yeah. So I love, I actually love Hamilton so much. This is a perfect pace, I think. It's my little pitch for the Toronto. It's the perfect pace. It's currently. not too like rah, 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 rah. There is the most, you know, just ordinary people doing remarkable things. Mm. Just, you know, yeah, and well, it's you'd not. have a lot of insight to that. Yeah. It's not this big rah, rah. It's just, you know, people are really, I think for me, the biggest thing I noticed moving from Australia was just how aligned people were to a particular set of values where they care about the environment, they care about each other. There's not this real like thirst for material things. Uh, the culture in Australia was very different yeah. for me. Well, that's a good segue. Like, so what, what are the major differences you found? Because did you live in Brisbane? In Brisbane, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and then you moved from? Brisbane to the Toronto. Was that a massive cultural change? Because oh, yeah. I know, I know, my partner. She lived in Sydney for five years, Whoa. and then and then she moved to New Zealand, and then she ended up living in Rotorua. Okay, and okay. like that was a huge culture shock for yep. her. Yeah, I mean, it going was from massive. a city of what five million to fifty thousand. <laughs> You know, I think well, Brisbane's what two million? Is it two million? Oh gosh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. But for me, it was just like I was seventeen when I moved here. Like, so what know, made you move here? It was my um, my drug addiction. So I um, had some challenges getting into rehab in Australia. They were all full. Um, you know, there's a really big waste, wait list. And it was kind of like rock bottom for me. I really needed to get the help at that point yeah, in time. Yeah. And um, So did you make the decision or did your parents like kind yeah, of... It was kind of... My grandparents actually took me in. My granddad called and said, hey, I've got a place... You can come stay with us for a bit. And I've always admired my granddad so much. He's a um, a really, really awesome businessman and, and big in his church, like really gives back a lot. Yeah. And I thought, oh, wow, some time with granddad and a free ticket to New Zealand. Heck yeah. yes. And I'll be back soon, you know. Um, all my friends are here. My life's here, whatever. And, yeah, it wasn't until I got to New Zealand and was with my grandparents and went into detox that I realized how bad it was and um, – you know, how addicted I was. And, and then my mental health issues coming to a sur to surface where I was having visual hallucinations. I wasn't able to sleep. Um, I was suicidal. Um, it was a really, really dark time. And so when I got admitted into the mental health services here in New Zealand, I 
just, yeah, really realized the amount of work that needed to be done to make me whole again. Mm. And once I finished that journey, well, you don't really finish, you're always developing and changing. But once I finished in the mental health service, I was like, wow, this place has given me my life, you know, and I feel so connected to the environment here. Like I love spending time in Raglan. I love the Taitua Arboretum. Um, I enjoy, you know, Waihi and the Coromandel and the Waikato as a rejust. It's like, this is my home now. So um, Do I you just, feel weird when you go back to Brisbane now? Oh, hugely, you know. Um, but that's where my family is. So I've got a niece and another niece on the way. Um, I'm the oldest of four siblings. My parents are there. My grandma's there. Yeah. So, but do you feel like you've gone – because I know when I go back to Auckland sometimes, I feel like I've gone through a time warp. Yeah, yeah. You feel in like you've way? gone back in time? Like just – I don't know, like I've gone back to 2014 or something. (laughs) It's real buzzy sometimes, eh? Well, it's almost really, for me, it's my, you know, that's, that was a place that I had a different identity in. Mm. And so when I go yeah, there, yeah. it's that identity that comes up for me that I'm like, oh, I'm feeling a bit uncomfortable. Like, I'm not that person anymore, but this environment brings this out of me. How do I be more mindful of who yeah. I've become and show up yeah. there? And so, do, do people back home in Brisbane still think you are the person that you were when... Don't, I don't care. Yeah, I am me now. You know. I know, I know, because my dad's <laughs> from the UK. And then um, every time he goes back... They still think he's like this, this yeah. little drunk shit, you know. Oh, that used to yeah. just, you know, they still yeah. think of him as twenty four, even though he's like sixty seven now. It's weird, yeah, and it's that's just, okay, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. Acceptance. So I'm just, I'm just curious if, if it was, if, if it was similar. But um, yeah. does that element of you miss Brisbane at all? I miss my family. Yeah, yeah. I miss being able to create memories and raise my son. Now that my son's here, raise my son with um, his cousins. Yeah. Um, but. That's what FaceTime's for. Yes, it is. Um, I did contemplate moving to Brisbane at one point. Oh, really? Why Brisbane? Oh, because I like city life, but I don't like ridiculous busy city life like Melbourne and Sydney. Yeah. And um, one of the things I like about Hamilton, actually, is it's close proximity to everything. Yes. Love that. You know, like (laughs) hour and a half to Auckland, hour and a half to Rotorua, hour Mm -hmm. and a half to Tauranga, two hours to Talpo. Like, I'm supposed to be going to New Plymouth. Um... Uh, at some point yeah. and that's only a couple of hours away so yeah. whereas you know with in australia for example sydney's like quite isolated mm-hmm. well all the major cities mm-hmm. except for brisbane really are quite isolated because brisbane's connected to you still got the gold coast which is what gold two coast. hours two yeah. hours away oh hour hour and a half yeah and then yeah. sunny coast up the other way the only thing i think i'd pro- um have trouble with is the heat particularly at oh, the moment you know with oh 40 degrees and it's so hot there at the yeah, moment yeah yeah and, and the fires and yeah that's so it's the it, smoke yeah <laughs> it's really really bad it is and it makes you you know we complain about rain a lot in new zealand <laughs> But, uh, you know, it's times like this when you see what's happening with Australia that, you know, we need to appreciate it because totally. there's a lot of people there praying for rain. Totally. They just want rain. Yeah. You know? That's hard. So, yeah. But I love our city. It's a cool place. I'm glad you chose Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't plan on going anywhere. Yeah. It's a cool place. Oh, yeah, it is. It is. It is. And um, I think the energy's changing as well, you know, like like you say, there's things popping up in the CBD more and more. And now that the theatre, that's going to be massive for our city and for our region. And, you know, I think there's a real entrepreneurial spirit from a lot of young people as well. Yeah, there is. There is. And 
in time, you know, like you say, things kind of it takes this bird and then that bird and things are slowly appearing. Mm. And I think just naturally, you know, being part of the energy that is creating something, um, we're going to start to see a bit more vibrancy, you know. Um, totally. It's cool to be part of that time in, in the city's development. Yeah, too. yeah. I um, recently had uh, National MP David Bennett on Oh, yeah. <laughs> He was an interesting guy to talk to. Yeah. Um, by the time this airs, that will already be out. But he yeah. was he was um, talking about growth in Hamilton and what was what he considered the actual key things to okay. make it grow. And he said the the main thing was extending the expressway to Tauranga, okay, in Cambridge. And the reason he said this it was actually interesting. But he said the reason is is because if Auckland and Tauranga build their own expressway that bypasses Hamilton. Then a lot of the growth, because Tauranga is growing at a faster rate than Hamilton. Uh-huh. And he said once Tauranga's population gets above Hamilton's, then they have the ability to go to Wellington and start dev- uh-huh. asking for more government money. Right. You know, we right. want a university. We want more government right. based here, you know. Right. So I was like, oh, that's, that's interesting insight. I yeah, yeah. didn't even know. Yeah, I yeah. didn't even know. It was just yeah <laughs> you know that's why it's interesting just talking to um politicians because they have a lot of insight yeah just it's, cool. it's but, cool being a young person asking questions like these people know heaps of stuff hey we're just gonna ask stuff a bit more yeah yeah and part of the reason why i do this podcast is so i can ask people questions it's particularly politicians because i don't feel they really get the platform to really say what they want to say yeah right or need to say you know they go on news hub or the yeah. project or something. They get a 30-second clip. Yeah, it. I remember when Louise Hutt was on there. She had like three minutes to convey yeah. her entire campaign. Yeah. I was like, oh, come on. That's impossible. <laughs> but that's media. Yeah, that is media. So, <laughs> But you're shaking it up with a longer I am. podcast. Well, trying to, trying to. It's all about trying to get the guests on, though. That's, yeah. the, that's the hard part. But, um, hey, I might wrap up there. Awesome. But thanks so much for coming on. So if that's anyone right. wants to... Get involved with Seed Waikato. Yep. What is the best way for them to do that? Um, probably to just drop a message to the Facebook page or drop an email to kiaota at seedwaikato.nz. Are you guys on um, Instagram and Twitter and stuff as well? Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, yeah. YouTube, yeah. Facebook. And what is it? Just Seed, seed Waikato. Waikato. Seed Waikato. Yep. And that's it? That's it. Cool. And then uh, make sure you go to the events as well. Even if you don't want to volunteer, at least go to the events so you can see the magic and the hard work that Gemma and her team have put on. Thank you. Cool. All right. Well, um, hey, that's the show, guys. Make sure you share, like, and subscribe. And until next time, stay safe.